football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We're going through all things Week 17. But before we get into it, a little shout-out to our friends over at Action Pro. When you subscribe to PFF Elite Annual using the promo code ACTION, you receive a year of Elite, and you also get one year of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new betters better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. The offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. All right, Sam, let's get into all the action. You ready to go? Yeah, week, fire it up. Week 17, some games mattered. Most games mattered. Some absolutely did not. Uh, let's start with the Cleveland Browns. They're going to the playoffs, Sam. Yes, Cleveland Browns avoided being the Cleveland Browns just. I am excited. Almost threw it away. I'm excited for Browns fans. Yeah. I think that's a good – I think it's good for them. Stefanski now has the most wins for a first-year Browns coach in Browns history. And the two guys he was he was tied with at 10 wins were Paul Brown, pretty good name, and was Blanton Collier, the like successor to Paul Brown. Like That was a pretty good run that he was on at 10 – Ends up win holding that championships now. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I think it's probably skewed a little bit in that I don't know how many games that were being played when Paul Brown was running things, but it wasn't 16. It was like eight teams. <laughs> yeah, but the, the seasons were only like 10 games long. So, you know, he was like an undefeated season as yeah. opposed to uh, 10 or 11 out of 16. But still, that's a pretty good job for Stefanski right out of the gate. Avoids the banana skin that was the Pittsburgh Steelers backups and Mason Rudolph airing it out. In week 17 just about escapes Rudolph. He, did, he did some really nice things downfield throws and everything i think he's a limit rudolph is still limited yeah as far as his uh playmaking ability but uh making throws from the pocket he had a, a terrible panic induced interception i mean wasn't this like it's you know the way sometimes where you throw in just anybody else and it shows the problem that the original guy was having like, whatever about what Ben Roethlisberger has been doing this season, and clearly Roethlisberger is a better quarterback than Mason Rudolph, when you throw Rudolph in there and suddenly you have these deep completions left, right, and center, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. So now we can at least identify that this is not like a design of, it's not like a feature of this offense, that there just isn't deep throws in there. Like, this is a Roethlisberger problem, not a Pittsburgh offense problem because as soon as you replace the quarterback, suddenly we're airing the ball out and, you know, th these receivers are capable of going deep just like anybody else. Yeah, there are a few big-time throws in there. One really nice one under pressure, uh, getting hit. Uh, not really Mason, Mason Rudolph's thing, but, yeah, they had four completions at 20-plus yards. The yards, three big-time throws from Mason Rudolph. It, you know, it's a small sample size. You don't completely 
I, I'm not going to completely agree with you and say, okay, well, Big Ben versus Mason Rudolph, it's night and day, but he did. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that when you, suddenly when you throw in a guy like that, it shows that, okay, Roethlisberger has been the issue here, which for Pittsburgh is significant because this is a team that's now rolling into the playoffs and you should at least have identified where the problem lies now. Now, I don't know if you can get a fix out of that, but you now can spend the next week going, okay, Ben, <laughs> what's our issue here? Why, why are we not pushing the ball down the field? What is the problem? Um, because they need that, right? That's, they're not efficient enough to be the Tom Brady offense of old where they're just surgically dissecting you five yards at a time every single play. This team need this offense needs those big plays in them, and they're there. The quarterback just hasn't been executing before. So the fun part is these teams will play next Sunday night, the last of the wild card games next weekend. Sunday night, it's it's part three. We have two, we have multiple rematches, uh, four rematches in the wild card, and two teams, two division games that will be the third time that they'll play. Uh, so Baker Mayfield on the other side, comparing this game, I know it's not all the starters and everything, but comparing this game to his first time against the Steelers, this was like night and day. The first time it was like, this was time to write off Baker Mayfield, right? Yeah. I mean, he can't can't read coverages. He's not doing it. Yeah, he's just off. His two worst games of the season were the first game against Baltimore and the first game against Pittsburgh. Right. And in both rematches, he bounced back to some degree, and then albeit this one against, you know, the backups. He did. But in, in this is the thing I liked about Baker. I think he's playing quicker, much faster than he did uh, in, in previous games. And... There was when they were trying to seal that there was some good in, in some bad when they were trying to seal the game couple runs he picked up a few first downs with his legs mm -hmm. then they had a fourth and eight though to your boy Richard Higgins runs a great route under throws it to you know there's, there's still just a couple plays missing for Baker he's gonna have to hit those next week against the real Steelers defense but uh, impressed by the Browns and bouncing back from the disaster that was that Jets game the previous week yeah and you know they just had to avoid being the Browns, right? This was what we said heading into the game. This was a potential banana skin. All they had to do is avoid stepping on it and falling face first into the turf. Um, and they did that. So I, this is one of those games where it's such a weird set of circumstances, right? Steelers backups, Browns with COVID problems, knowing that this is trying to snap the longest active playoff drought in the NFL. I think you almost throw out everything from this game. It just it happened. They got the win. That's all they needed. You're throwing games throw out. Throw it again. out. Yeah, yeah. Throw it out and let's just move on. Let's just get the hell out of Dodge and move on to the real game in a week's time. They only give us 256 games a year, and you try to throw them out like most of the Browns ones. Yeah. yeah. You only want to care. You only care about Week One and the other, the first Steelers. Game. It really is remarkable that like <laughs> there's almost nothing there from Baker Mayfield's season that I think holds genuine weight in terms of like predictive value or something you can glean information from despite him playing 16 games now uh, either way for the Browns they need healthy Denzel Ward or you know Denzel Ward on the field to me the the Browns secondary we'll talk about in the preview show obviously but the Browns secondary I think is going to be the key to them winning next week as much as it is Baker in the offense it's going to be the Browns secondary and then the Steelers defense as much as we talk about defense not being predictable is that going to you know of the defenses in the playoffs especially in the AFC side Pittsburgh's got to feel best about that side of the ball of all the teams everybody else though explosive offenses up and down the AFC so that's going to be uh, you know interesting as far as the the matchups go so Cleveland 
they make it into the playoffs. I, I'm excited. I'm excited for Browns fans. And, uh, yeah, good job by them. Um, so where else do we want to go here? Miami. Or, you want to go to Miami? Yep. All right. Why don't you direct this show? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking control. Buffalo uh, 56. Yes. <laughs> with a half of Josh Allen. Yeah. 56 to 26 against yeah. the Dolphins. Yeah, not good for Miami. <laughs> <laughs> a whole bunch of these teams, everyone has to win to get in. Colts needed to win and get some help to get in. And Miami just absolutely got dumped on. Um, Buffalo, we didn't know how much of their starters we were going to see. You know, they were in a vaguely similar situation to Pittsburgh. The thought was they were going to start Josh Allen and the, the regular starters, get them over a couple of records and benchmarks, and then sit them down, right? Because why, why would you risk it? They ended up playing like a half. And at that point, the game was already a slaughter. Miami were getting absolutely murdered, and they just they just didn't put up a fight. They 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 didn't show up. They were the only team that had something to fight for in terms of playoff seating. They just did not arrive at the races at all, and got absolutely waxed because of it. The and funny thing is, they were hanging tight. Like the first quarter, Josh Allen misses a couple throws. They pick him off. You know they. They were hanging tough early and then give up 56. I know there's a punt return in there. Matt Barkley's right. dropping dimes on them in the second half. <laughs> yeah. Allen was outstanding at the in the first half before he, you know, well, it was got like, benched. Allen, Josh Allen uh, got benched. Yeah, yeah. At this point, it became like if they can just make it to the point where Matt Barkley comes in, then they can start trying to pull this back and, you know, execute a comeback. But, it, you know, it didn't. It got worse. Um but it was it's funny, like sometimes the bounce of a ball and stuff just luck, unluckily goes against you. Like Miami seemed to be just about getting their stuff together, was getting back on track. And then it was Devontae Parker sort of trip slashes pulled to the ground on a, an in-breaking route and Tua throws the ball basically straight to Josh Norman, walk in, pick six. And there's and honestly, it just there's like at that point it's spiraling away. That's not on Tua. No, no, no. And it's either. not even I don't even know if it's on Parker. It's just one of those plays, right? Yeah. Like Norman had hold of him, but not not egregiously so, not any more than you have June, during the general course of play. He just sort of caught him slightly off balance on the wrong foot and he just tumbles to the ground. Suddenly you're throwing instead of you're throwing to a receiver, you're throwing to an empty space with a cornerback following it up. Um, so, it's, you know, pick six goes the other way, and now you're just – you're buried. So, um, two ends up with three pick, three interceptions. He had been getting some incredible turnover luck coming in. Yeah. He has three interceptions, only had two coming into the game. I think, you know, again, our numbers said, okay, that was kind of inevitable. I was – I wasn't as down on Tua after watching it um, as I thought I was going to be because there's a lot to like about what he does as far as speed of the game. And he does really remind me of, uh, of Jimmy Garoppolo, the way Garoppolo came in and is kind of working with a tighter margin of error because I just don't see the arm. I, I just think everything has to be quick and early uh, and the arm is just not great. But I think there's a lot to at least be encouraged by with Tua. At the same time, because of that tight margin of error, it was like the opposite of Josh Allen, who's sitting there doesn't have to play with great timing and is just firing lasers all over the field. I think it really raises the question about Miami at number three yeah, and what they're going to do with the quarterback. So that's the thing, right? Whether you came out of that game just immeasurably depressed about Tua or whether you, you know, actually are kind of encouraged by what he did, it did nothing to help the narrative that, you know, you know, there's a group of people that were like, well, you've already spent, you've already invested in the quarterback. Why would you keep throwing resources at it? Invest in other things, build around him, and then try and get it done, right? And then there's another group of people who are like, 
you don't know the two is the guy, so keep rolling the dice until you know you have the guy. Um, this did not do anything to help the first group of people, right? Whatever you think about Tua, this did not help his cause. But on the other hand, like we've been praising, damn it, my coach of the year candidate, uh, Brian Flores, for like the great job he's done, the defense. Changed, right? Yeah, yeah, in, the, in a week. <laughs> Funny how they just reverse themselves like that. Um, but, you know, the great job he's done with the defense, what he's been able to do, taking New England south, transporting that system and making it look like it should have looked in New England for years. Uh, I mean, his defense had 50 points hung on it, half of them by Matt Barkley. Or, yeah, by Matt Barkley. So, like, as much as you can point... It was point, really only 42 points. Sure. As much as you can point to Tua and be like, well, he didn't, you know, change any, that narrative. He didn't prevent them from taking a quarterback in the top three. Um, like, the defense crapped itself in the final week of the season as well. That's what I'm saying. There was, a, there was a couple bad plays in there by Tua. Again, that interception wasn't really on him. Had a couple others that, you know, weren't great. But... Um, I, I'm not as I have I didn't sour on him as much as I think the overarching right. takeaway from the game would be, and I, I think I think once they get back to the film room and watch Tua, they're going to say, okay, it's a couple bad plays in there, more than anything. But it is fascinating, though, you know, in this world of recency bias and what's the last thing I saw. The last thing the Dolphins are going to see heading into this off season is their team collapsing, their quarterback being unable to dig them in any way out of it. Zach Wilson ending the season on fire in his bowl game. Potentially Justin Fields like putting in one of the games of all time against Clemson. Who knows what will happen in the, the college football playoff final. But like potentially Fields ending the season in, in insane form. Wilson ending the season on fire. Like the two most obvious candidates for them to draft in the top three. Both ending the season looking incredible and two would not. All right. We... I think that's PFF daily worthy and it might, because we've already talked about the Dolphins quarterback situation, but I think how many QBs go in the top five is probably yeah. worth a discussion. But I think Miami should at least consider it. If for nothing they have else, to at least consider. I mean, it's all going to come down to their evaluation, right? They At this point, that part is already, I think, a given. Like if they don't consider it, they are egregiously asleep at the wheel. You have to consider it. Now, it then comes down to where is their evaluation on these guys, right? Where are Wilson and Fields compared with Tua when he was coming out? And what do you like? Do you think that that is a significant upgrade? If you do, now you have to think about pulling the trigger. The the trouble is they're sitting there at three and they're going to see a blue chip offensive tackle in Panay Sewell, yeah. which people still really value. And I think Miami, as quick as Tua plays from a pass protection standpoint, they could still use an upgrade there in Miami. The run game hasn't been good in years in Miami. It was a little bit better this year at times. They're going to see Panay Sewell and just think, we were we were one game away from the playoffs. Add this tackle well, to yeah. the mix, and they're going to feel good about it. Also, and they also just evaluated Tua as the fifth overall pick in the draft. How much is, you know, coming off an plays. injury. Coming off an injury and all these different things. Right. And it wasn't like he was bad this yeah. year. The, I, to me, the biggest concern about Tua was just the physical tools at the NFL level did not wow I mean, at a time when everybody with good physical tools seems to be developing. Sewell, obviously an option, but also at that point you will have the pick of the best wide receiver in the draft. And it's like, okay, we could upgrade a quarterback potentially, maybe, maybe just take a sideways step, or we could get two of the best receiver in a yeah. stacked draft class. Like, there will be options. And it's I, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk either way, but that's now an interesting 
they're they're in a, a very rare position of having been a good team with a first-year quarterback who suddenly winds up with a top-three pick because of Houston's generosity and now has a decision to make about whether you potentially bail immediately on that quarterback. Man, it's going to be a great offseason discussion. We'll have more and more of those discussions. But Miami, they're out when and, it comes to the AFC playoff picture. Yes, and Buffalo rolls into the playoffs on fire, like with the heat of a supernova as looking like the best team in the NFL right now. Like we've talked for a while down the stretch about which team is going to catch fire at the right time. The Browns a couple of weeks ago looked scary before they tripped over. Um, you know, is it going to be New Orleans, Green Bay, Tampa Bay? Do they get their stuff in order? Buffalo right now is the team that's just torching people. So they're going to go up against the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts win 28-14 to against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Colts, they needed Miami to lose. They did. Uh, Tennessee ends up winning. So the Colts are going to play the Bills. They almost – the Colts almost had like the perfect weekend, right? They came in the one team out of all the teams looking for that wild card spot who needed help in addition to winning – they struggled against Jacksonville for a decent part, part of it, but they already got the luck they needed with Miami getting destroyed. And then it looked like uh, Deshaun Watson and Houston were going to do them a favor by knocking over Tennessee. And suddenly the Colts go from needing help to even make the postseason to being the division champion and hosting a game. Didn't end up happening. The Titans close. held on, but it, for a while it looked like it was going that way. It took until week 17, but Phillip Rivers... We'll see what happens with the final grades. It looks Game in like the 60s? He may have actually posted a grade in the 60s after having seven games, eight games, whatever it is, of 70-plus and five under 60. He actually had an average game. But the story for the Colts was Jonathan Taylor carrying 30 times for 253 yards. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor, when he was drafted in the second round, who was, I think, the best all-around running back, or the all-around runner, in the draft last year zone scheme gap scheme he could do it all and i think the vision with him in indianapolis was okay you put him behind what we ranked as the best offensive line in the league right. coming in and there's going to be some good results and we didn't start to see that until the second half of the year but he ends up as the number three rusher in the nfl just by yardage for whatever that's worth but it was also behind an offensive line that wasn't the same offensive line that we expected we've got jared Valdir stepped in and is playing football yeah. for the Colts. They've been banged up, but Jonathan Taylor was the guy. I think the matchup with the Colts and the Bills ends up looking interesting now just because has this become this run first, take the pressure off Rivers type of team, and that might be an answer that they have against a really weak Bills front. But Taylor running for 250 is a big story. Right, and that is interesting because Buffalo is unusually weak up front, potentially by design to a certain degree, but – you know, the Colts actually want to exploit that, were able to exploit that this week. Um, a big part of that Jonathan Taylor uh, stat line is the fact that that offensive line just destroyed Jacksonville this week. And obviously that'll help when you have a running back. Like, there's a few defenses this week. We, we know they've been bad for a while, but they were just embarrassing. And Jacksonville was one of them. Like, they just capitulated. Um, it's intriguing because Buffalo, as I say, right now, I think they're the best team in the NFL as of now. Right, Maybe not overall over a 16-game schedule or in a vacuum in any given Sunday, but in terms of form, right now Buffalo is the best team in football. And if Indianapolis doesn't do something dramatic, they're going to get waxed the same way Miami did. Like They can't hang with that. It, right? Buffalo is just too intensely good right now, and I don't know how many teams can live with them the way they're playing. Yeah, I mean, the Bills, 
if you even if if you just go back through their losses, they lost to the Chiefs. They lost. And it was close. Yeah, they got they got destroyed by the Titans. Yep. Lost to the Chiefs, and they lost on a hail mary. Yeah. To the Cardinals. And, Albeit a game they should have lost, so it was. You know which I mean? was fine, but I mean, it's still like all right. They yeah, were in yeah, position yeah. until there was a right. Hail Murray. Um, but honestly, beyond that, they won. There were games in the middle there too, where they won a game against the Patriots in the middle of the season and a game against the Chargers in the middle of the season. Where for me, the narrative was, wow, even without Josh Allen, they found a way to win. Yeah. And then his season was like outstanding at the beginning, little lull in the middle, outstanding down the stretch. Yeah, if he keeps playing like this, they are going to be really tough to beat in the playoffs but I wonder if the Colts end up attacking the Bills the same way teams have to attack the Chiefs your your idea of playing keep away and slowing the game down and I don't know that they have an option to be honest I mean that's just the only way that they can win that game because they can't hang with that Buffalo offense in a shootout um, I don't think their defense can do a great job of slowing it down either so if they're going to win that's like their only pathway so you've got to take it regardless of how treacherous and you know, dangerous it looks. That's that's the only way. You, it's it's the only thing open to you. I hope it's treacherous and dangerous in Buffalo yeah. for the for the playoff game. Phil I'm excited. I, on the road, it's going to be great. I the the Bills are a really exciting team right now. I'm I'm all for seeing that. Let's jump to Sunday Night Football because we have to talk about that. I like to go AFC South. No, 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 no. I'm I'm in charge today. Not happening. Really? Yeah. Okay. Going to Sunday Night Football. Take the reins. I'm, I've already done it. I've taken them. Follow on. Are you just... Mr. Ed? You have to set me up. What's the horse? If you want to host, you have to set me up with something to react to. I, the NFC... The Sunday Night Football. Which game react. was it? You didn't even say what the game was. You didn't say the final score. You think hosting's easy? I mean, I think... Yeah. You think it's easy? <laughs> All right. Sunday Night Football. The so Washington football team. Talk about Sunday Night Football. Yeah. That's what they say. That's that's how they do you it. You can't say talk about. Talk you get, about. You get... You get made fun of on Twitter as a journalist if you say talk about. And yet they all do it. That clearly works. Yeah, but like journalism 101. All right. Ahead. Sunday Night Football, the Washington football team, 20-14 to 14 over the Philadelphia Eagles. Alex Smith, Ron Rivera, comebacks of the ever. They make the postseason. But the story coming out of that is that the Philadelphia Eagles had what was the most obvious, overt, and offensive like tank job during a game that I think I've ever seen. They did. I... I I didn't believe it until I actually saw them play football. To yeah. me, it wasn't the fact that they brought Nate Sudfeld in. Though that was, you know, pretty telling. But I didn't think it was. Jason, Jalen Hurts was 7 for 20. He was averaging 3.6 yards per attempt. Right, but, like, it, it falls into the category of what is the point. Like, sure, he's struggling. But on the other hand, this is Nate Sudfeld. But like, I also what? thought it might have been a series or two. They kept him in for the rest of the game. That's, that's yes. the first thing. But it was just the way he played. It was like, hi, I'm going to throw the ball to you. I'm just going to throw it a little bit over your head. I'm really throwing it away. I mean, it was just some of the plays were kind it, of absurd. It's kind. Of, it's really funny, though, because when people talk about, you know, tanking for the draft position, um, the narrative is always players and coaches don't tank. It, it happens institutionally in the front office. You know, when you get to Sundays, everybody's out there playing. And the reason you know that is because the Jets, right? with nothing to play for en route to Trevor Lawrence, the greatest quarterback to come along since maybe Peyton Manning, since maybe John Elway, right. like 30 years ago, the Jets go and win a couple of games and take themselves out of that position. Despite everybody in that building about to be getting fired, despite, you know, a great 
generational quarterback talent just waiting there as a, a Christmas gift ready to be unwrapped, and you throw it away by winning a random game in December, right? That's how you know that teams do not actively tank on a Sunday. And yet the Eagles did. Like, they went out there and they tanked. They, they sabotaged that game in a way that I don't remember ever seeing from a team. It looked like, it looked like Nate Sudfeld had a few incentives for inaccuracy. <laughs> And, you know, jumping offside on a critical fourth down late in the game, like, it just yeah. it was bad. Yeah, it was. And it was to go from number nine to number six. Which is significant. It is It is significant. I know just using the old school trade value chart, I saw somebody say it's a late second. I mean, there's, there's value in that. I'm interested if that is, because we talked about the Dolphins' decision here, is that because the Eagles want to be in the mix for one of the quarterbacks? I mean, it doesn't hurt, right? Like you're because not in you're not in position if you're number nine. You might be in position if you're number six. Well, the alternative is like, do they just want Micah Parsons, the great all around linebacker from Penn State? Like they're not tanking for a linebacker. They're not tanking for another re- first round receiver, Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith. Um, we, we, there's still a lot to figure out as far as what right. the top ten I, is. I don't know that it's that is focused. It, is it just let's just let's just get it and screw over the Giants all at the same time? <laughs> I mean, there's an element of that too. Doug Peterson is a eagle through and through yeah but and you hate your division rivals right but you're screwing them over by handing it to the to washington it's not like you Ooh, you almost got i did you I almost, almost got fined a bitcoin i almost did it that's a lot of money i don't have that kind of cash we could just al litecoin al apparently can fire a couple of bitcoins in fred's direction those are thirty three thousand dollars each How i ain't got that kind of coin we'll find each other dog coin or whatever that thing ethereum is. <laughs> no doggy coin doggy coin whatever it's called well, i don't know what you're it, it went about. off this weekend oh okay Whatever one, like one equals like a dollar. I can do that. I can't do 33 grand. The one that's worth a penny now. Okay. And that was it going um, off. But it, yeah, you screw over the Giants and hand it to Washington. Like, do you like them any better? I mean, it, I, I don't see that part as, that a, is, as I, a factor. I need a, I need a survey for NFC East fans. Yeah, like how, hate, how intense is the hate between what, each team? What are the biggest rivals? I feel, is wa- Washington's probably like the most liked team. I feel like Dallas and least the Giants. Least hated. Least hated? Yeah. Yeah, what, is that what I said? No, you said most liked. I mean, you least hated. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Dallas is probably the most hated. Yeah, I would say. I, I mean, I could see that. It just feels that those degrees of like hate are unlikely to have played any kind of factor in this. Um, for them, I think it's just literally a case of look. Most of the time, there's still a bunch of games to play, and you know you've got you can't you can't pull this in like week three, right? And spend the rest of the season <laughs> just farcically going through this absurd like charade of playing games actively trying to throw them away so that you go winless and and you know pick up trevor lawrence but in week 17 where there's literally nothing to play for you were eliminated before you are just going through the motions and the only thing at stake is moving from number nine to number six in the draft why not like what what's the risk now i get why you don't want to do it in mid-season right because you probably don't want to screw around like this for like a full half a year that probably has some institutional risk to it but in week 17 like what are you playing for yeah look i'm, I'm actually torn on the emotional i know a lot of people are getting emotional out of the uh, out of there's this, a right? lot of like hand wringing and you know pearl clutching of like respect for the yeah. game and the, and the whole deal and it's yeah it's, i get it it's pretty funny i get it it's like the finger poke of doom in, in wrestling sam you know it's like just just laying down for your opponent but the thing I would be more concerned about was the my take on the Kendall Hinton has to play quarterback thing a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. is the safety of the players, right? Whether it's Nate Sudfeld, there was a play 
They rushed up to the line. Now, it was a bit of a miscommunication. Like, the Eagles, they, the O-line and Zach Ertz probably thought he was going to spike it or whatever, and he gets up and runs a play. Maybe there's a miscommunication there. But that play, nobody blocked for the Eagles. Yeah. There are legitimate plays where Nate Sudfeld wasn't blocked for. There are plays where Nate Sudfeld is throwing hospital balls into the flat, hanging, out his, hanging his receivers out to dry. You can't play at uh, the NFL – NFL football at that speed and like just kind of play around you know what I mean like there's legitimate careers at stake that would be my concern just from an injury standpoint for why like you just you can't you can't do that type of thing integrity of the game and this and that I mean whatever I don't know it's not great but yeah it was kind of ugly but the football team's in and their defense is legit and they're gonna play the Bucs and I think it's I think their defense is I mean it's gonna be the best team the best defense the Bucks have played in two months. This is like this could be a real case of be careful what you wish for if you're Tampa Bay. Like they were they were intent on getting this seed so that they had the NFC East winner. Like they wanted to play for this, um, because this was seen as the easiest path. You know, this happens every now and again where it's like there's a clear, obvious target in the draft or in the in the playoffs in terms of a wild card spot usually it's like that's the team we want to get right i don't think it was that though i think it's just you play for i mean play for the higher seed i think they wanted this game and i you might regret that in a week like washington that defense is legit and tampa bay's offense when they've come up against legit defenses that can throw things at them that they're not comfortable with has had some struggles um the concern for washington is like Alex Smith for the pathologically conservative quarterback whose shtick is not putting the ball in harm's way has been putting the ball in harm's way a lot and his while remaining conservative right and his turnover worthy plays have come in bunches yeah um, he's actually not had that many of them over the season I think he's going to end the year with like seven total right but they've come in like groups of two or you know multiples in a game um and even like last night i don't think this is one he's got one right but i don't think it's counting the pass to the running back my guess is that isn't down as a turnover worthy play right now but that was a sort of weird karmic like maybe not a turnover worthy play but kind of like a, a hospital pass to the running back right high late into the flat the, the sudfeld right and it wound up as a freaky interception, right? Because the running back was about to get murdered and the ball sort of bounces around and, and the guy took it right off him. Ironically, for a pass that probably isn't going to get charted as a turnover-worthy play, probably should be because, frankly, you just got your running back killed and instead you got punished with an interception. My point, though, overall, is that as amazing as Alex Smith's comeback story is, like you can't be a quarterback who's just a game manager if you're going to throw the ball away. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll talk about it on the preview show, of course. But I think, you know, the football team has a chance defensively to at least keep the game close. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. Weird stuff happens. They're at home, what have you. So I think of all the – again, I, I said it on the show the other day. Of all the teams coming out of the NFC East, I think Washington's the most dangerous just because in any given week their defense can come to play, certainly more than, say, the Giants or the Cowboys. The uh, When you watch Alex Smith play football um... – you know, they're talking about it in the broadcast last night. Obviously, it's an incredible comeback story. It's amazing. And, you know, everyone was sort of saying that first hit, you know, from Aaron Donald where he rode him like a rucksack. Um, it's just you're like, uh, it's cringy, right? You're like, God, don't hurt Alex. Yeah, Chris summed it up pretty well. It was 
Yeah, like watching but, your son out there. And, right. It, it, yeah. We're in this weird spot now where he's like, you know, technically he's 100% healthy, right? He's back. He's recovered from the calf strain. He's playing. He's just another football player. On the other hand, does it not feel kind of mean, like scheming to, to take advantage of his like physical inadequacies now? I thought it's the like, same thing. Let's watching. get him moving into the like. Come on, the guy has one leg. Leave him alone. I thought the same thing watching Breeze. I mean, Breeze is still playing right. okay, I and mean, he had whatever, but he can still play a little bit. But there's just something and Smith like can still play a little bit. But when Breeze gets overload blitzed, yeah, and you know a guy comes free, I'm just like, oh, that's, that's but it mean just somehow it somehow feels unsporting to like scheme. To take advantage of the fact that Alex Smith only has one leg now. Wait till you see Todd Bowles next week God, against him. They just... might, the Bucks. so the Bucks beat the Falcons 44-27. The Bucks might be without Devin trying White. Trying to take control again, are you? I see. Rest see, control this podcast. You just got to work on your me. segues. Yeah, you, can't right. just, you can't go from the AFC South to the NFC East. I mean, I can you do just can't. I, want. I mean, you kind of can because it's how hard it could be. AFC yeah. South and the East has taken over. Listen, Devin White... Need, might need an extra day of COVID protocol, and they're playing on Saturday. Devin White's their best blitzer. He'd be the guy that might, you know, really hurt Alex Smith. Mm. So that could end up being good. All right, you take control. Are we done with Sunday Night Football? What, where are we going? Well, yeah, I think. I mean, the the big story out of that was the the <laughs> active tank job that you know we've never seen before. And ultimately, Washington ends up making the postseason with a seven and nine record, which is. For a start, that was like the most fitting way possible for the NFC East this year to end. Like this absolute train wreck of a division ends in a complete farce on Sunday Night Football with the Eagles actively throwing the game away to hand it to Washington, screw the Giants, and just get to the end of it. Like the <laughs> this just disdain from Al and Chris in the booth late in that game. We're just like, what is this? Like, what are we watching? It was kind of funny. How about the disdain from Giants players? Yeah, yeah. Very upset. Well, they were, no, it wasn't disdain from them. It was like anguish, disgust that, like, oh, we thought we actually had a shot of this. And, like, no, the Eagles are throwing it away for you. And they probably felt really dirty rooting for yeah, the yeah. for three quarters before. And now they're getting screwed yeah. because of it. But ultimately, like, Washington ends up making the postseason with a 7-9 record, which is, like, bad, but not unprecedented. Like, we've seen this before. Like, And it, we've seen those teams win in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Seattle, Carolina. It looked like a team was going to win this division with five wins and be an absolute, like, just joke. But they're in there. And it's a great comeback story for Alex Smith. It's a great comeback story for Ron Rivera. Whatever you think about this division, that farce, the whole thing – you've got to feel happy for those two individuals given what they've been through. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies and helping customers choose the right solutions together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind western and southern financial group life insurance retirement and investments compensated endorser products issued by member companies of western and southern financial group cincinnati ohio okay um oh next team i want to talk about and that's that's what this podcast is today just no no, no I'm, not, I'm not i'm i'm no I'm not millions yeah, of people I'm not are really entertaining right now, but your conventions of you know how this is done. I'm just gonna go where I want to go. The Tennessee Titans sneak away with a win against the Houston Texans. 41 38. 
Back to the AFC South. Yeah, yeah. Back to the AFC South because I want to talk about this game for a couple of reasons. One, Tennessee dodges a bullet, sneaks away with the win. Two, Deshaun Watson ends this season without a bad game, right? This only guy that train wreck. did not grade under 65 in a game. Only guy who didn't grade under 65, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, um, Russell Wilson, all of the top, Tom Brady, every single one of those top quarterbacks has one game with a grade in the 40s, right? A bad, outright bad game. Whether or not they were punished for it by a loss or by bad statistics, they have each had a stinker. Deshaun Watson hasn't had a bad game all season long. And again, at the death, just team can't get it done. And one, it's an incredible season for Deshaun Watson. And to the point where it's like, can we find a way to like shoehorn MVP in his direction or some kind of accolade? He deserves to come out of this season with something beyond just, well, well done. Well, that, you know, good work, Deshaun. Now on to the next miserable year in your Houston tenure when there's nothing around you. But two, whatever this this defensive performance from the Houston Texans was more embarrassing than what Philadelphia did on Sunday Night Football. They came into this game knowing that what Tennessee was going to do is run down their throats with Derrick Henry, who was chasing 2,000 yards, but in order to get there, he needed 200-plus yards against your defense, and you couldn't stop that from happening. This was pathetic. From Henry, the, from Henry goes for 250 yes. on 34 carries. So, yeah, on the Watson thing, man, it, incredible season. And one of the best seasons you'll ever see from a team that won four games. Yeah. I mean, really incredible. Um, so I, I think it makes the Texans job attractive, but also unattractive all at the same time. There's a lot of work to do because the pieces around there are bad. But again, a lot of offseason fodder and discussion about you've got a top three to five quarterback in Watson who took the step forward. Year four took that massive step forward that he always seemed capable of. So he's up in that top echelon right now. So at least you have that piece to build around. The defense, though, is really horrible. Last year, they could at least stop the run a little bit. And we've always talked about stopping the run is, is just trying. Yes, right? it's that's just, why this was pathetic. Yeah, it's just, try, it's just putting an extra guy in the box. And, you know, I was worried about the coverage unit for Houston the last two years. That's why they got torched in the playoffs. That's why they would lose a bunch of games last year, despite Watson playing pretty well. And that still sucks, but that's and it's not still why terrible. it was embarrassing. But absolutely demoralized up front. I mean... The, the rebuild in Houston, it's not just a new defensive scheme and like all that stuff helps a little bit, but they really need like eight to 12 players on the defense. Eight to 12 <laughs> to turn that thing around. When you only have 11 starters, yeah. Correct. The, the thing is, right, when, again, as you said, d defending the run is generally a conscious decision, right? It's how much do you actually want to get this done because you just move players to the right spots by alignment and you stop the run. But the other thing is teams hate other teams getting records against them right because that goes down in a stat sheet it becomes immortalized in black and white and it's it's a permanent stain on your legacy and you remember a few years ago like the bears jared allen was playing the bears in week 17 with a chance to break the nfl sack record and i think he had like one or two he had he got something earlier in the game and then the bears were like okay from now on, this is not happening, right? And they dedicated like three guys on every play to stopping Jared Allen getting the record, right? That's effectively the situation 
the Houston Texans defense found itself in, right? Derrick Henry started to rumble. He needed 200-plus yards to get this record or to get to 2,000. And they reached a point where it's like, all right, we need to stop Derrick Henry now. And in addition to that, that's also how Tennessee is winning this game, by the way. So it's not like it's not like it's working against your overall strategy of needing to win. And they tried and still just fell face first into the turf. And Derrick Henry ran all over them. Yeah, that was that's bad, man. It was genuinely pitiful. Like the Texans have been arguably the worst defense in the NFL all season long. But this was just a joke. Yeah, so they graded in the 30s from a run defense standpoint. We already knew. Look, they've got Zach Cunningham at linebacker is is solid, but losing Benardrick McKinney this year had hurt. Even before he got hurt, it was rough. But just the defensive line for Houston just isn't there, man. They need Again, they need an overhaul on that entire side of the ball. For Tennessee, incredible game too. You know, Houston, Watson leads Houston back for the game-tying field goal. And then Tannehill hits A.J. Brown for 50-plus yards to get into field goal range with, like, 15 seconds left. Single coverage on A.J. Brown. You know, they're running quarters and all that stuff. But it's, it's, a, it's legitimately single coverage because mm-hmm. all, you, it be, all you need to do is run a route to occupy the safety, and he has to cover it. So they left A.J. Brown in single coverage. Great throw by Tannehill. Um, Hall of Famer Corey Davis with all sorts of drops in this game. Wasn't great. Wasn't great for Hall, Hall of Fame credentials. Um, but... The dudes showed up again for the Titans. A.J. Brown takes over. Derrick Henry takes over. And Tannehill, man, I think he just, he just continues to impress with what he could do with his legs and downfield throwing. Yeah, but also because of, like, they reached the point in the game where the Houston Texans defense was desperately trying to stop Derrick Henry. That was all they were focused on and still couldn't get it done, at which point they just weren't even paying attention to Ryan Tannehill. So now you reach this point, like, you remember the way that the Seahawks would hand these zone read looks and there would be a handoff to um, uh, Marshawn Lynch every single play right up until the point where you just stop paying attention to Russell Wilson. And the point where you don't, like literally don't pay any credence to the idea that he could carry it, he pulls the ball and takes off 20 yards completely untouched. That's basically what Tennessee was doing. It's like, oh, you're dedicating everybody to Derrick Henry and okay, you're still not getting it done, but if you're just not gonna if you're just not gonna cover Ryan Tannehill, then he'll keep the ball and scamper away for a touchdown. And, and so you've mentioned the Bills being the hottest team. The Ravens, maybe it was predictable because their last four games were on the easy yeah, side. And that is the difference. The Ravens ran for four hundred themselves yesterday against the Bengals. Four hundred. And they're 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 hot right now. I always say balance on offense is, is having answers, right? The Titans, to your point, because so many teams are worried about Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill will become – he ran for two touchdowns. You know, sometimes he can scramble. Sometimes he can just pull it. He's a weapon in the run game. They have the weapons in the pass game. The Ravens have Lamar and that offense really rolling. I just – I love that the AFC really has all these balanced teams. The Bills can win various ways. The Ravens, the Titans – um, they've played each other a bunch, you know, all these teams. It's going to be it's going to be really great. Well, that also becomes this fascinating rematch from last year, right? The Titans were the team that upset yep. Baltimore's juggernaut, um, and it was kind of a freaky game, right? A lot of things bounced away from Baltimore early, put them in a hole, and this team isn't built to come back from a hole. Now they're the now that they're the underdog, right? They're the team on the road. They're they are the team that didn't, you know, roll through the regular season. Um, and just stomp people. Now they've got to go to Tennessee and exact revenge from a year ago. So that that is a fun playoff uh, matchup that we'll talk about on Thursday. 
Where do you want to go from here, Sam? Where do I want to go? Let's see. Um, do you want to touch on the Ravens 38-3 win? Well, why not? Since you brought it up, let's go there. There's not much else to say. Yeah, they <laughs> run for 400 yards against the Bengals, the end. This was one of the most lopsided games you will ever see. This looks like it looks like a college box score because yeah. they ran for 404. The <laughs> The uh, every time you say it, it sounds ridiculous. Right, four hundred yards. J.K. Dobbins had a buck. I mean, they had already run for three hundred, and that's got to be that, Dobbins. That's an NFL record, right? Like by a mile. Oh, I didn't check. It has to be right. There's no way a team has run know, for more than four hundred. It must have been a team in the seventies that did something like they that. Ran for four hundred? No, because the seventies it was all smart. Like you didn't have that level of yardage in the seventies because there was no space. Dobbins had one sixty. Lamar had ninety seven. Gus Edwards had sixty. Mark Ingram. He got to play nine carries for 39. But on the other side, you had the Bengals throwing for 48 with Brandon Allen. Brandon was so good last week against your Texans, that terrible Texans defense. And in this one, he goes six for 21, 48 yards and two picks. How much did you say they ran for? 404. (sighs) Not a record. 423. The New York Giants rushed for against the Baltimore Colts on November the 19th, 1950. Oh, wow. So not yeah. the 70s. It was it's a the lot, 50s. but it's not enough. It was a lot. Well, there was a couple QB Neals in there. Tyler Huntley got to play football. I mean, this was just pure dominance. And look, here's the thing. Ravens-wise, last four games looked like 2019 Ravens. They round, Did they round into form? Like, how do we position this? Do they round into form? Did they change the, to get their identity back? Did they just beat up on bad teams? I think there's a, there's a little bit of everything. But, man, they are... It was an efficient you – know, Lamar only had to throw the ball 18 times, made a couple big-time throws, yeah. three touchdowns I mean, in there. It showed, that, it showed that 2019 Baltimore still functions if the platform is there, right? The, the problem for them this season compared to the year ago is that the platform that everything was based upon started to crumble and fall to pieces, and then the whole thing just toppled over, right? So when the run game isn't there, when this foundation isn't there for them to dominate, they, can't get, they still can't get it done – as a pure passing exercise and as a, a team that has to chase the game and all those kinds of things and, and defending the pass is easier when they don't have this rushing platform. But when that's there, the whole thing still functions. Now that has only really been there against bad teams. And we don't yet know what happens when they have to face a team that can deal with that. Now, the good news for them is they're facing Tennessee whose defense is garbage and they can't hold up to that. So they won't have to know that until at least the second round of the playoffs. But that's the open question, right? Is that, yeah, Baltimore's offense is still formidable. It still looks like the 2019 version of itself, as long as they can dominate on the ground the way they have the last few weeks. On the other hand, we don't know if they can do that against a team that's actually got a halfway decent defense. Sounds like the Bengals are cleaning house a little bit with the coaching staff. And there's rumors that Zach Taylor could actually be in trouble despite being told i believe that he's safe so we'll see what happens in that one appears to be kind of up in the air generally it is as of record time right now so i know it's monday morning we're recording really early i know stuff happens as far as coaching changes and various things like that but But it it becomes it becomes an intriguing playoffs for baltimore because of that right the the afc is effectively evenly split between teams that can't deal with their run game at all and teams that probably can't right so you've got uh tennessee who they're gonna play who can't stop anything you've got cleveland who can't really stop anything um you've got the buffalo bills who can't stop the run so those three teams baltimore should have a pretty good chance of being able to run on and execute their offense the way they want to the other three 
Kansas City, whose defense is functional enough, enough to be able to cause you problems, like specifically. So, you know, they might not be great against the pass, they might not be great against the run, but they're pretty good at game planning and causing, taking away your first preference. Um, Pittsburgh, who are legitimately good, and Indianapolis, who might not be great against the run, but is a pretty good defense. And again, like with DeForest Buckner, they'll be able to take away what you want to do initially. So that becomes a, an intriguing path for them. The thing about Baltimore is how much we like to tell stories and there's narratives and all that stuff. How much does what's happened previously actually matter going forward? So the narrative with the Ravens, with a lot of those teams in the playoffs are, well, they can't play from behind. So if the game flow gets out of hand, they're in trouble. Or the Ravens are just a bad matchup for the Chiefs. Therefore, if they run into the Chiefs, they're in trouble. Does it matter that previous in previous times the Ravens let the game flow get out of order and they couldn't play from behind? Does it matter that if the Ravens play the Chiefs at some point, you know, previously it looked like a bad matchup? I don't know that it does. I think the Ravens are just as dangerous right now as they were going into last year's playoffs. They lost to Tennessee in a game that was somewhat quirky, but, you know, they got beat. Yeah. So, again, I'm, I can't wait for the playoffs. There's going to be a lot of good games. Baltimore's whole thing is that they still haven't worked out a way to win when plan A doesn't work. And they're not alone in that. This is a lot of – this is the failing of a lot of NFL teams that it takes a very good team to be able to function beyond your initial game plan, right? Game planning is hard enough – just getting a strategy that works in the first place is an achievement for a lot of teams. If somebody then blows your game plan to hell, being able to adjust and come up with a plan B that still functions at the NFL level is insanely hard. And that's why, you know, there's a couple of coaches that are able to achieve that. And that's why Bill Belichick, you know, has a fistful of rings and most people don't. So the Ravens right now, their critical flaw is that this is a team that cannot win if you put them in a hole and force them to change the plan B and pass. But that's not unique to Baltimore. It's just their specific we problem. We haven't seen it yet, but does it matter going forward? Maybe, you know, things can change. See what happens. Yes. Where to, man? Uh, where are we going next? Um, hmm. A lot of dead air here. With you a little bit. Host. Oh, let's talk about the... I like when you get excited and perked yeah. up, though. There's a few games that were interesting this week. Like, the, generally, the slate was pretty ugly, but there's a few games that were I know fun. Where, you're going. where am I going? Cardinals-Rams. Yeah. Uh, John Walford played football, looked halfway decent. Is it bad that I could tell by your tone <laughs> where you were going? <laughs> 18 to 7. Yeah. What a game. <laughs> yeah, it's at one point, was it 7-5 or something this game? And it's like, yeah, maybe starting quarterbacks actually mean yeah. something in the NFL. John um, Wolford did some nice things. He did. This He performed the way you would expect, right? They were functional with him. And, again, the, the idea that he'd been good at every level we'd seen, college, the AAF, uh, NFL preseason, doesn't mean that he's going to be good right out of the gate at the NFL level in the regular season because that's a hell of a jump up from any of those situations. But it meant that, like, it shouldn't be dismissed that this guy can be functional just because, you know, he's a quarterback from Wake Forest who played in the AAF that most people haven't heard of. And I think he cleared that bar. He looked functional. He made some plays. He was able to deliver the ball down the field. And, you know, with an offensive mind like Sean McVay, you can make some things happen. That guy had four big-time throws yesterday. That's the interesting thing. He'll end up with a pretty average grade, but they did get the ball down the field a little bit more, and he was the leading rusher. Yeah. 56 yards you know he was a guy that did bring a run element 
to this offense that's you know built around the run game and play action it's going to be Jared Goff obviously in the playoffs and all that but yeah it was fun watching Wolford for a game and Kyler only lasted you know he, he came out in the first half for uh Chris Trebler hmm. struggled a little bit yeah it's almost like CFL quarterbacks aren't as good as NFL quarterbacks I mean, there's only one time out there great cup champion he was um, but not the, not the place you want to make your NFL debut against this Rams defense. No, uh, it really isn't. <laughs> the Rams um, end up making the playoffs, though, because of the way things broke this weekend. And they're another team that, like, plan A is fine. Plan B, which has been Sean McVay's like Achilles heel for his entire time there, he's shown flashes, tendencies to adjust or the ability to, to adjust, but it hasn't been a consistent strength of his that when you cause problems for plan a he can go to plan b and they're probably like they're a team that's going to see some problems from plan a in the postseason it's another rematch well, th well third matchup now against the seahawks and those have been really interesting matchups in They've the been first great. two home teams won both and look the seahawks have not played well offensively since the first half of the season really they've been really inconsistent down the stretch russ has been inconsistent down the stretch they made their comeback win yesterday against the niners but people thought this was boring a couple weeks ago because it's a kind of a defensive struggle i like it man i like this matchup again well it's one of the most intriguing individual team matchups in the entire nfl i don't even care that it's the third time we've seen it if anything that makes it more interesting to me we know that the rams defense can cause Russell Wilson problems and more problems than pretty much any defense in the NFL. I think they've held him to two of his three worst graded games in the in the league this year. Um, the question is, what can the Seahawks defense do to the Rams offense? Because they caused them some problems last time as well. Again, has Sean McVay got the adjustments? Is Jared Goff back and healthy with a with his thumb injury? <laughs> Are they going to be forced to lean on John Walford against that defense? And what does that do? Because he has that rushing threat or that scrambling ability. and Goff's going to be back. Mm -hmm. You think there's a QB controversy in uh, L.A. here? No, but I think if a quarterback has a broken thumb, you might not want to roll with him. He said he's going to be back. Sure, but you know, how good is he going to be with a broken thumb? Not everybody is not Brett Favre. Not he was when he broke it against Seattle in Week 16. Not everybody is Brett Favre. You can't just resin up your thumb and play football on a Monday night. There are minor surgeries. <laughs> no one, no one are repairing a thumb they're not doctor is there I no such a, thing as minor surgery not to make this all about me but i I broke a finger the day before we traveled to miami for a super bowl and it's still jacked right i <laughs> i'm not jared goff can have surgery in his thumb and play a week two weeks later i'm i'm gonna say he's not 100 percent. you ever broken your thumb before i've never broken a thumb i've broken fingers i broke my thumb oh yeah i was 12 huh so i I it's, can relate. Still made it to the minors, huh? They still did. <laughs> they still did. It was swollen for about four years, too. That's what I'm saying. To, You're telling me he's, he's 100 percent healthy. Did, I opted out of surgery at yeah. 12. I mean, yeah, they just threw it. In a cast. I didn't get surgery like, on this either. There's four weeks. I almost had. I almost had to. I almost had to surgically remove my w wedding ring in Miami when it swelled up, and we almost lost it at the dinner table. But I'm having flashbacks, I think I came in third in some sort of three-point contest with like a wrap <laughs> on my. Hand. I mean, I I battled through it, but that was well after his. It was mostly healed. I'm just saying that I don't think surgery has put that guy at 100 percent two weeks later because he broke his thumb. I'm gonna go with what the other non-Monson doctors say, and Jared Goff will be back. It'll be a great matchup. You know, we'll hit it on the. Uh, on the preview show but um i i like part threes 
in these in these games. I mean, Browns, some of Steelers, them. and Rams, Seahawks. Yeah. I like I, both of those. I, I don't always like round three. There's some pretty miserable, you know, where the first two sucked, and I have no interest in seeing him happen a third time. But I, that I, I'm all for. I keep coming back to there's there's three defenses that have played at a at a higher level than everyone else. One's the Steelers. One's the Rams. Yeah, and those are the games. Who's the third? Football team. Oh. It but just the, it felt weird to leave them out when you were naming the other. I'm two. saying the Steelers and the Rams are two of the teams that are playing in a part three. So when you have a good defense, that cat and mouse game I going see. up against them is intriguing. That's I where I was going with okay. it. Okay, I get it now. I understand. Look at you directing this efficient podcast, flying through. Maybe you should. Maybe you should take the reins. Maybe. Maybe you're the thing that's been holding us back all this time. This is, you're the reason we have two hours. Well, because I set you up, and then you just go on, and it's like rugby <laughs> and analogies and metaphors and all that stuff, right? Yeah. I give you nice, quick, concise answers. Yeah, maybe the whole order of this thing we is should, just yeah. We, should, we maybe we'll, we'll have billions of listeners instead of millions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, that was giving you time to get to the next game, unless you have something else to add. No, no, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm there. Uh, let's go to let's go back to the NFC East. <laughs> the in in what was a battle for actual pole position before Washington took the field and ruined every and Philadelphia ruined everybody's day. The two, the Giants and the Cowboys, just in that this was the NFC East in a nutshell this season. Both teams just slugging themselves in the face or like shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly trying to throw this game away. Andy Dalton lost out in a million dollars in playoff bonus for not making the postseason. For that terrible interception that yeah. he threw. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying it wasn't his fault, but dude How lost much, a million dollars this week. Did you see Emmanuel Sanders get yes. his bonus? It was like what, his eighth catch in the day. He got him 500K. 500K, I think. Man. There was a few of them. Like, Could you at, imagine running a curl route for 500K? I mean... I would certainly run one with everything I had. <laughs> I was going to get 500k out of it. The Adam Schefter had like a list of you know bonuses that were going to get paid out based on the week 17 games. That was certainly one of them. Um, somebody was speculating that it was a Matt Prater celebrated like he won the Super Bowl in a meaningless field goal with the Detroit and uh, and Minnesota game. They were like he had to have a bonus tied to that. There's yeah. just there's no way you celebrate that crazily based off this game. Um, and what is at stake here unless there's money attached to that kick? Players play, man. Play hard. Well, again, that's why you're not tanking because all these guys got like a million dollars on the line in week 17. Uh, so, the, so the Giants went, and man, they were obviously rooting for the Eagles because they were winning the division. If the Eagles could beat the football team, I was, I was buying into this narrative that the Cowboys had kind of figured it out and yeah. Andy Dalton spreading the ball and all that stuff, and he just really laid an egg in this one. And that, I guess, was always a threat, right? Like, he had had, I think, six straight good PFF grades. Five of the six were grades in the 70s. Um, yeah, ruined my entire narrative. Well, six I mean, straight games, six straight passing grades in the 70s. Yeah. So it didn't ruin it as much as, like, this was what we thought was going to happen when Dak Prescott went down. It's, Andy Dalton can be a functional, pretty decent quarterback with a bunch of weapons around him, which he has, and the offense would be okay. It didn't mean that you were ever clear of, like, a bad Andy Dalton game, right, which does come around every now and again. Um, and that's it's just, it's just unfortunate for him that he timed it in Week 17 with a million dollars in the playoffs on the line. Yeah, not great. Leonard Williams finishes with nine pressures. He's hitting free agency in a weak interior interior defensive line class as probably the best option and the most dependable option as far as what you know you're going to get. We'll have more on free agency as we go. But, man, again, you know, the Giants' defense was feisty. And they for a team that on paper did not look great 
on that side of the ball, they've had a lot of really good games this year. Yeah, not just pressures for uh, Olenny, but sacks, and that's fairly important for him, for you know, a guy that's never really yeah. translated as a pass rusher. To finish the season, you know, he's repeatedly sacking Andy Dalton is certainly not going to harm your uh, your postseason chances of cashing in. Man, just a disappointing finish by the Cowboys. Looks like the Giants were trying to fumble it away down the stretch as well to make it even more interesting. But I mean, this was just amazing, the ineptitude on display by both these teams. It's like, you know, some teams or sometimes when two teams in week 17 have everything to play for, you get one of these incredible games where everybody's fighting tooth and nail. And it just looks like, it looks like both teams want it to an incredible degree. And you get the best football possible. Sometimes the fact that that is the situation makes both of them just collapse in just a, just a mess. And that's what happened here. Like both these teams, presumably because so much was at stake, just could not function at any kind of level. So both teams, week 17, hoping to just win and maybe win the NFC East. And now they're both picking in the top 10. Yeah. That's the alternative. Both finish at a 6-10 and 10 record. Daniel Jones, we, we talked a little bit off air before we got here. He's going to make things interesting with the Giants because nobody's looking at Daniel Jones' season being like, all right, man, they made the right pick and all this stuff, and we didn't like the pick at the time. But given what he had offensively from an offensive line standpoint terrible playmaker standpoint below average he played pretty well this season add the rushing value that we've that we said it's 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 almost like a necessity unless you're a special pocket passer it's like a necessity in today's nfl have to be able to at least keep it on a zone read at least you know pick up a couple first downs with your legs he has that and he threw the ball pretty well this year made pretty good decisions threw the ball excellent down the field Daniel Jones was more impressive than any other time in his career, in my opinion, and it didn't show up on the stat sheet, and I think it gives the Giants a little bit of hope for when that supporting cast does look good that, you know, he could put together a really nice season. Yeah, he's one. Of, he's going to have one of the biggest disconnects between PFF grade and stats, um, and you see it every now and again. Ben Baldwin on Twitter posts those uh, charts that's like PFF grade versus, is it the— EPA usually. I think it's a composite of EPA and CPOE, completion percentage over expectation or whatever it is. Um, and it sort of shows essentially how much PFF grades like or dislike quarterbacks compared with their production, right? It's just another, it's, it's a more sophisticated version of what we do with like passer rating, right? right? Which is, do we like, did the PFF grade match your passer rating or did you get screwed or helped by your supporting cast, which is effectively what that's measuring. Um, and Daniel Jones is one of those outliers. It's a it's a pretty good trend line, and Daniel Jones is one of the ones that's way off, uh, away from that line because the PFF grades have consistently liked him this year more than his resultant production based off everybody else around him. Yeah, I mean, look, I I was more imp I was impressed with Jones, and and look, I, the, do we answer the same way we talk about Tua? Like, hey, you don't have somebody, so keep you don't know that you definitely have somebody. Has my take really changed on Jones as a volatile guy that has some high-end play and some and some rough stuff in there? I don't think that's really changed. But the fact that that hasn't changed also means when you do get multiple playmakers for him to throw to, I see the Folsian high-end you know run in there for a Daniel Jones. It is interesting how priors and starting perception changes how you sort of view what is kind of the same situation. You're right. Like, we had high expectations of Tua, really liked him in college, thought he would be a good NFL player, 
relative to that, his first season has been a disappointment, particularly when compared with Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Daniel Jones, on the other hand, we didn't really like in college, didn't think he was a top six draft pick, thought he was like a fringe first rounder, um, has has outperformed that, has been more impressive than that, but ultimately probably hasn't shown you any more than Tua in terms of is he definitely – a franchise quarterback and you're going to be picking in the top 10 and potentially have a shot at a, an upgrade like and yet in my head it's like well the Tua thing is definitely a conversation but is it really for the Giants I mean it should be I guess based off that logic yeah I mean I think it should be as well but again I'm, you know he, he ended up pretty good this year minus you know the stats yeah and uh and I'm curious to know what Giants fans believe of Daniel Jones and if if the eagles did win the game the other night would that change perception too it wouldn't change your win win loss record right. but you've got division leading division winner quarterback playoff, daniel jones yeah, playoff, playoff quarterback. quarterback yeah that's true um i'm out of games that i care about now this weekend so i can hand the reins back to you really that's yeah. how this is going huh yeah yeah i'm done all right other stuff got? we didn't touch on green bay solidified the number one pick 35 16 over the bears yeah aaron Rodgers mvp just put your Trubisky rant from uh, yeah. I'm not, I mean, the last couple I'm, weeks. I'm done with the Trubisky else, thing. This was nothing else to say. Inevitable. Um, but Green Bay again. They just why can they not just put a whole game together? They only scored in two of the four quarters in this game. Here's the weird one too. Rogers has Rogers did solidify the MVP. He's our highest graded player. The stats are ridiculous. Highest graded he's ever had. Highest grade he's ever had. All that stuff. He also had a stretch of four plays where he had three dropped interceptions, four yeah. passes and three dropped interceptions, three right. tur- like randomly. Yeah. And his turnover-worthy plays this year, he only has like 12 on the season. Like three of them happened in like a sequence of a drive. They've come in bunches though too. They, they came in bunches against the Bucks. came in bu- bunches yeah. in this two-drive you know, stretch with the, against the Bears. It's really weird. Um, but he still only had five complete incompletions on the entire day to go with the four touchdowns. Yeah, that, that offense – is rolling you know even though there are lulls um because he also had you know one of his best throws but it's so mark was the, yeah, the lulls are so weird like they only scored in two of the four quarters against the bears but in those two quarters they put up 35 points um it's so bizarre how they seem to find it so easy for the stretches where they catch fire but it just it never quite it doesn't sustain it's not a, it burns out i don't know what the deal like I, I'm not smart enough from like a mechanics and science point of view, but like when the mixture, the fuel air mixture is wrong, right? And the thing just can't, it doesn't sustain, it burns out or it, fire, it can't, the flame burns absurdly hot and then it craps out. It doesn't, it's not a slow burn. That's what the, the Packers seem to be that they, when they catch fire, it's like completely unstoppable and there's nothing you can do to, to get in its way. It consumes everything around it and then it, it burns out and it, it sputters for like a quarter and then they catch fire again. I don't understand why they can't like tinker with the mixture and get this thing so that it just functions for four quarters. And it feels like at some point that will be a problem. Like they'll find yeah. a team where the quarter that you don't score, the other team scores three times and now you're in a hole and now you have some problems to deal with. The benefit obviously of the number one seed is not just, I mean, it's home field advantage, but it's Lambo. I mean, that's just, you know, yeah. Lambo's an extreme advantage because they're used to playing in the cold and all that stuff just like i think a dome team you know extreme advantage because the comfort level and all that stuff so i think that's huge for the packers being at home and um i think it's a little fitting adrian amos had the interception that kind of sealed the deal former bear 
who has always just been a solid safety by our grading standards. Bears let him go, and he's been good and solid for Green Bay. And him and Darnell Savage have been excellent down the stretch. Critically, the, one of the reasons that the Packers are so— oh, By the way, the Aaron Rodgers, like, for his entire career, has had the number one seed an absurdly small amount of the time. When you consider how good he and the it's Packers— 2011? Yeah. Like, the, the playoffs have very rarely gone through Green Bay in terms of the number one overall seed the way they do this time. Um, Rodgers grows an outstanding winter beard, and that is critical here because that insulates you from the cold at Lambeau. Hmm. It means you can function. You know, you can—the hard count, all those kinds of things. You can get people to jump offside without your chin being numb because you got the, the awesome playoff beard. And if you look at the rest of the NFC— I was going to say, when you compare it to the other— This is what breeze, I'm saying. No. Nope. Russell Wilson. Not really. Alex Smith. They've got the kind of, you know, the light shadow. They can't. Alex Smith definitely can't. No, can't bulk it out. Brady. No way can Brady get a playoff beard going. Jared Jared Goff. Goff. Can he even grow a beard? No. Um, And Trubisky. So. Oh, yeah. By the way, let's not write off the Bears. They're in the playoffs. I mean, we can write them off, but they're in the playoffs. Well, they gave the Saints a really good game. Easily could have won that game. It went to overtime. Uh It was in Chicago. They'll be in the Dome now, but they can give them a game. Okay, yeah. Um, anyway, point is, none of those guys can grow a playoff beard like Aaron Rodgers. Ergo, the Packers will be the NFC uh, representative in the Super Bowl. Now, do you care about playoff beards in the AFC? Because no, God no. Because nobody's got to go through. Nobody's got to go through Green Bay. Kansas City's cold too. <laughs> it's not. It's not Lambo cold. Josh Allen feels like the guy who has he has a baby face, but he could also will himself to grow will a grizzly. No, Adams. you can't. You haven't signed the apology form. You can't get back in the good graces. I don't need to sign of Bills paper. Mafia by suggesting no. that Josh Allen can grow a beard that he can't. I also tweeted that he was a cyborg from another planet. Now it might have been facetious, but people took it seriously <laughs> and they thought I was on the bandwagon. So I will continue to play. You know, yeah. edge my bets here. You seem like a guy that would grow a good playoff beard. I could. I don't like it. It's itchy and scratchy. And you got to get past that. You got to. It's the first. The first two weeks are the hardest, Steve. The, once um, you clear. Once you clear the itchy stage, then you're in like, and then it's gravy from then on in. You got to put some gel and conditioner in gel? it. Gel. What are you doing? Conditioner, right? And you put some stuff in it. We had playoff beards back in 05. Yeah. Can-Am League champions in Worcester. The what? Canadian American League champions, <laughs> 2005. I, I showed you the rings recently. I yeah. can bring the rings back from, yeah. from. You should. Why do you not? You don't wear them for the podcast. Should I wear? Yeah, yeah. The way. How that... tacky? All right. Let us know. <laughs> how tacky would it be for me to wear multiple, either one or multiple? Multiple has to be one <laughs> on each hand. Well, I have a wedding ring. So, how tacky would it be for me to wear championship rings from not only minor league baseball but like independent minor league baseball? Would, too? I Canadian American only league. fitting. I mean, show the game some respect. Dan Orlovsky would be proud. Does Dan have a ring for his 0-16 season? I, I don't think they make I want rings for that. All right, so the Packers move on. Bears are still in the playoffs. Trubisk has to play better if the Bears are going to give the Saints a game. We'll have more on that on Thursday. They're playing the Saints. They took care of business. There it is. Drink. 33-7 to over the Carolina Panthers. Not to pick on Breeze once again, but man... <laughs> Three touchdowns. He still has the ability. He threw a nice seam route early in the game. He 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 can anticipate, hit open receivers. But where, so sixteen games now. Where are you on, on Drew Brees? Because now they need him, right? Playoffs. Things are getting important. There's no there's no room left for like, you know, messing around. And, I am, 
I am exactly where I was in 2015. 2015? On Peyton Manning. Oh, God. Now, listen. My take on Peyton Manning there, as disastrous as he was, like overall grade was bad, stats were bad, right? Breeze has had good stats, but his grade is the worst we've seen. But Manning was still, I use the word capable all the time. There were games where he would throw anticipation, dig route, and this and that. And turnover-worthy plays are inherently just... 2015 Manning was essentially, if my brain suddenly became the greatest computational football brain in the world, and I was thrown out there to play football as a quarterback that's what 2015 Manning was but you only but you only need you only need the arm talent to make like two or three plays a game <laughs> here's the thing you only need it for two or three plays a game and if Bree, where Breeze has been bad why are you crapping on like Tua for his arm if you only need it for two plays a game because we're talking about Tua playing fast for a rookie versus playing Peyton Manning speed or Drew Breeze speed which okay. is different okay okay so for Breeze for Breeze Breeze's bad stuff has all been turnover-worthy plays. It's not like he's missing like 12 throws a game. Yeah. He can still hit everything underneath, let guys pick up yards after the catch. But even yesterday against the Panthers, throws one right to a linebacker, has a fumble, has another one that almost gets picked in the end zone. Like there's a lot of close calls that he's gotten away with. He, I don't think he can continue to play like that, but I think he could be functional enough for them to move the ball. The thing about the Saints is they're all-around team is that good when Alvin Kamara is out there you had Ty Montgomery yesterday ran for 105 so they just took another hybrid wide receiver running back and made do with him their defense has been just dominant at times this year including yesterday so PJ Walker came in and threw three picks <laughs> I honestly didn't even catch that part at the end of the game. XFL superstar that was MVP. so the Saints all-around team is fantastic like if Breeze if Breeze had a Peyton Manning go out on top, despite not being close to the top of your game type of moment, I wouldn't be that surprised. Okay. What are your thoughts? You, you've been calling him cooked all year, and it's not necessarily wrong. It's not – I don't think it's a good bet that, like, Breeze is going to carry them through four games here or anything like that. Well, so that's the but critical But the part. whole team is that good. Yes, that is, the li- that is the critical line, that I don't think that Breeze is any longer capable of carrying this team the way he used to be. The flip side of that is I don't know that he needs to be anymore because at the start of the year, the problem was what we thought was the best roster in the NFL on paper heading into 2020 wasn't playing like it. Like the defense wasn't good. The receivers were injured and not, not playing well. Um, so when Breeze showed up looking like old man with the noodle arm, it was a problem, right? Now the defense is playing well. The, the receivers are there or uh, getting back and, and playing at a high level. Guys like Emmanuel Sanders, Alvin Kamara has been great. The offensive line is good. So Breeze still hasn't, you know, gone back to being like the, the sort of perfect quarterback the way he was a few years ago. But he doesn't need to be for them to still roll. Um, now, again, it's... The, the when you're talking about all these good teams, it's always grading on a curve of the postseason, not the regular season. So does that still hold true when the Saints have to play the best teams in the NFL that they're going to have to play in the next few weeks? I don't know. But right now, Breeze is not playing at a particularly great level, and I don't know that he's sort of capable of that anymore. But the rest of the team is playing at a level where he doesn't need to carry them uh, through the postseason. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's going to be – it's a challenge for him to keep up with an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. Um, but at the same time, 
he went out there and pretty much dominated the Bucks on Sunday Night Football this season. This is the thing about the Peyton Manning comparison. A lot of Peyton in 2015 was like, he also had a game where he threw four picks on one leg and all these different things. Like he played banged up. A breeze has played banged up. Can you just stitch it together for a few games? I mean, we saw Nick Foles have a terrible game against the Falcons on the playoff run, but they, they found a way to win. He had a little bit of luck and then he played two outstanding games. Yep. You know, could breeze do something like that? Absolutely. Sure. So I'm not ready to completely write. I mean, it's a great starting point. The whole Manning breeze thing of like cerebrally he's there, right? Yeah. Like he, He's, his sliders in terms of understanding where to go with the ball and delivering it accurately are right at the sharp end. So as much as the arm may be a problem, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's a problem. I think it's for him, given the state of his arm, it's a problem more than a couple of times a game. But it's not like – it's not prohibitive, right? He's so good at understanding where to go with the ball and when to put it in the air that he has a large margin for error that he is – you know, using up most of because the arm isn't there. Plus, you have Sean Payton, who's been a great play caller, yeah. you know, great play caller for Drew Brees and understanding his limitations now as well. Um, the other NFC South game, we didn't, we touched on it briefly, but the Bucs won 44 to 27. Uh, that offense is really rolling. The big story here, though, is Mike Evans. The, the Bucs, we talked about this week. I was like, hey, is the Bucs turning it around? And Mike Evans is healthy. That seems like that's been a big factor. They get him his 1,000 yards to set the record, most 1,000-yard seasons to start a career, breaks the record, and on the very next pass, mm-hmm. hurts his knee. There's, it's not a torn ACL or anything like that, no structural damage, but he, he's very questionable. They don't know if he's going to be available for next week's game. And that field was a disaster. They had played a, the Outback Bowl on that field the day before. Then it rained a little bit. It looked very unsafe. Matt Ryan was slipping on just – step into throw very unsafe and perhaps a part of the reason why mike evans got hurt it's a weird line that the mri revealed no structural damage well then <laughs> what did it re- <laughs> what is the injury it's probably like it looked like just like a hyperextended, you know yeah but that damages the structures like it doesn't critically damage them Listen, it just doctor, i don't know man but you're right that that's a significant thing here's I mean, the thing though antonio brown steps in Takes a bunch, you know, ends up with 11 catches, a couple tap passes in there, but he ended up becoming a weapon there, um, including a, an impressive 30-yard touchdown. Chris Godwin had a huge game. That is the reason why they, they signed Antonio Brown. It was, all, it was like, hey, go cover this when we have these three wide receivers. But as an insurance policy, having Antonio Brown, if he has to be the number two behind Chris Godwin to go with Gronk and, you know, the other weapons that they have, Scotty Miller, that's... That's why they did that. And, mm-hmm. you know, they are starting to round into form, whether it is, they, yeah, they played the Vikings, the Falcons twice, and the Lions. But Brady threw for about three, threw for 399, another four touchdowns, ends the season with 40 touchdowns on the season. The second half of the year, against some not bad, not great defenses, but we started to see what this pass game is capable of. Yeah. And another one of these teams where it's, it's, that's, we're going to be trying to parse that heading into the postseason. Like how much of their turnaround is, facing not great defenses and how much have they actually figured out answers to the problems that were thrown at them earlier in the season i think it is a good this game was interesting because again another one of those sort of second rematches in pretty quick succession the falcons had caused them some problems in the first game and tampa bay came out this week and it didn't look like there were any issues like for a team whose season has largely been about like 
can you answer a question that's thrown at you not necessarily for that game but when the playoffs roll around right so when you face the new orleans saints again or the green bay packers or whoever it is in the playoffs and they throw something at you have you got the answer because if you don't in week four it doesn't matter it's just a drop game and who cares if you don't in the playoffs it's game over everyone's going home tom brady doesn't get his his ring in tampa bay and we all pack up um this was a game that suggested hey we've got some answers for the first thing you threw at us um and that i think is massively encouraging for them at a macro view watching 43 year old brady run a completely different offense have he had an average depth of target of 11.8 yesterday he had the highest average depth of target tied with drew lock on the season of any quarterback with at least 300 attempts just fascinating to me the downfield passing attack has been incredible since they had their midseason lull where they couldn't connect on anything that is going to determine the playoffs he couldn't connect on those passes against the saints and against the rams against other playoff teams against the bad teams they did and did you know this is the first road wild card game brady's ever played in really this week <laughs> he's only played this will be his fifth i mean it makes sense i guess yeah fifth wild card game of his career I mean, he's, he's been in more Super Bowls than wild card games, more everything else. So first wild card road game, if the Bucks make a run, you know, behind Brady in this passing attack, it'll be essentially unprecedented in his 20-plus year career. So the whole thing is kind of weird for him in that he's, I mean, okay, he's in the postseason again. That's standard, but he's in a completely different way than he's ever, yeah. like he's always the front runner you know, understands that the playoffs essentially come through our building. Now he's actually, now he's the road underdog every week. Yeah. Well, they'll be favored against the, yeah, true. the football but the, the road underdog that, yeah. overall. He's got to go on the road. It is, it is an interesting dynamic and it is, you know, crazy to see again, 43 year old Brady play in the playoffs again and play at a high level and finish with the second most touchdowns in the NFL with 40 this year. Any games we haven't touched on? Well, a lot of games that didn't mean anything whatsoever yeah so minnesota 37 the most meaningless game of the week (laughs) it's an absolute shootout not jets patriots no i think they somebody there had something to play for nobody nobody in the minnesota vikings detroit lions game had anything to play for with the exception maybe of matt prater who may or may not have had money attached to a kick he made um, just talk about Justin Jefferson as the big story, and we'll move on. Sets the record, the rookie record for receiving yards in a season. First of all, passed Randy Moss's Vikings rookie record, 1,300 and something, and then passed Anquan Bolden for the most all-time, um, which is kind of, again, crazy. We talked about it on the NFL Daily today. Pause podcast. Go subscribe to the PFF NFL Good Daily. Sell. Listen to today's um, that Justin Jefferson was able to come in and more than replace what they lost in Stephon Diggs right out of the gate is crazy and shouldn't have been possible. But he's been the best of these rookie receivers, almost all of whom have been pretty good in year one, and it never showed any signs of abating. He ends the season with an incredible um, yards per route figure, just kept on cooking, and if the Vikings could just get out of their own way and embrace the fact that they have like passing weapons and are really good at passing the football, that offense could be really good. The Lions were just, as much as you trash the Texans defense here, the Lions have the lowest graded defense Well, they're like in the yeah, NFL, and they just wanted to ensure that mark. That was the Trubisky thing, right? He His step forward came against the three worst defenses in the NFL, two of whom were the Texans and the Lions. 
yeah, this is an atrocious defense. Yeah, so look, I, I didn't think talent-wise that the Lions needed a complete overhaul. Like, when you look at the Texans' defense personnel-wise, they need a complete overhaul. The Lions don't feel that way, but obviously they played that way. Um, so, yeah, we'll be interesting to see where the Lions end up going this offseason as they overhaul things. Let's just go through the rest. New England 28, Jets 14. Ironically, as people are ready to move on from Cam Newton in New England, he has his most efficient passing game. Uh, Jacoby Myers throws a touchdown to Cam Newton. Cam has a 79 yards on the ground. I mean, it's like, I know it was the Jets, yeah. but this was like what, if you envisioned a successful Patriot season, it would be this type of game. Cam spreading the ball around, running a little bit, catching a pass randomly, right? I mean, which is it also, took 17 weeks to get there. But it's also the second good game he's had against the Jets. I mean, clearly this, this thing, this shtick, just works against the Jets' defense. Um, and it's it's fun when you see those kind of passes, the trick play to uh, pass to Cam Newton, it's like, I mean, this offense has to try so hard just to be functional with Cam Newton, a quarterback. And it isn't all his fault. You know, we've talked before about they have the worst receiving group in the NFL overall, top to bottom, between tight ends, wide receivers. They just don't have people that can move the needle. And you have a quarterback that's struggling. So the whole thing is just miserable to watch at times. But this was as functional as it looks. Um, and then for the Jets, like, again, random wins in the middle of December, but otherwise they've been pretty abjectly disastrous this season. Is Adam Gase officially fired? It was reported. I don't think it's official yet, is as it? As of Monday night. So Jets are going to be potentially moving on. Um, in Jets news, Justin Fields did absolutely ball out. It is official. He's been fired. Okay, so he's out. Um, Justin Fields absolutely balled out. The Jets will have decisions to be made. I think a lot of people are going to say, is it Sam Darnold plus Panay Sewell? Yeah. Or is it Justin Fields or is it a Zach Wilson? Did you see friend of the show, Adam Schefter, um, say that <laughs> one of uh, Douglas's strategies this offseason will be to execute a big trade? He was like, I don't know if it's like down or up in the draft or if it's like trading like for a quarterback or – but he's going to execute a big trade. Okay, that feels like a weird thing to just set as a goal. We will execute some form of blockbuster trade I assume in the next few months. Some information as far as like this, these few players we're looking at, or I mean, look, if you have the number two pick, the PFF take is generally pick a quarterback or trade down, or trade is you know trade down, trade down, trade down, and accumulate picks. It, I would take a quarter. I think I would take a quarterback there. But if you're not going to take a quarterback, you have an entire roster to overhaul. If you can get a massive haul for Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or trade down and still maybe get one of those guys or trade down and get a Trey Lance. The if Trubisky you feel. trade. Yeah. Get that, get out a spot. Get the guy Move down gonna, a spot. Yeah. Right. That you were going to get anyway. And, and well, because, <laughs> because again, three and four is the Dolphins and the Falcons. The Falcons are going to have a completely new regime and somebody and somebody's going to say, give me a new quarterback. Right or you know or, or Matt Ryan for a year plus a new quarterback. The Falcons might want to jump up to number two, and maybe the Dolphins actually do fall in love with one of those players and want to move up a spot. Who knows? Um, so yeah, the Jets again a lot of good offseason fodder to discuss there. Oh, Las Vegas thirty-two, Denver thirty-one. The Raiders won on a two-point conversion. Man, cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We've exhausted everything here. I mean, the Raiders are eight and eight, therefore they're getting better every year. Wow. Just just 
four or five short more years into John Gruden's 10-year contract, and they might get to the Super Bowl. Oh, we could talk about Jerry Judy's 92-yard touchdown. That's where I was going to go. I, of course. Right. Um, Me- meme guy's going to be all over that. First game where potentially um, Drew Locke and Jerry Judy didn't let each other down, right? Somehow they conspired to get on the same page, and fireworks happen when that happens. My takeaway is that's why you don't overrate drops. That's why you don't look at five drops and say, bench him and cut him and he's not good. Because if you still get open, if you get open, you're going to catch at least 80% of those passes. So I think the the point is that drops are inconsistent, noisy, and don't always translate to like a permanent problem, right? So Amari Cooper is the great example, right? That guy's had like an 18-drop season or something insane, like – he has had major drop problems, but it's not a permanent issue. And when Amari Cooper doesn't drop the ball, he's a great right runner. He gets open. He can make plays after the catch with the ball in his hands, and he's an elite receiver. So you don't overreact to the drops because you don't anticipate them being like a permanent stain on his ability to be a playmaker. On the other hand, you have a Troy Williamson where it's like that dude could not catch the ball and it didn't matter how fast or able to get open he was because when he was 15 yards behind the Broncos defense and the ball was landing on his face, he just like spasmed and fell to the floor. Like no amount of being like that ruins him. You can't, you can't start throwing the ball to that guy again because it's just, it's done. So I, we know Judy's not that guy. No, but I can't like, I don't think you can just say, all right, you can, it doesn't matter because Every now and again, he's going to bust off a 90-yard touchdown run because at some point, you just you need to catch the ball more than that, right? You can't have five drops a game because it's too inefficient. We need more than that. So I'm kind of with you in that I don't think you should overreact to five drops a game because I don't think that's who he's going to be permanently. But equally, if it was, it's not, like, it's not okay just because he can bust off a 90-yard touchdown. More offseason fodder. Drew Locke by himself some more time. Did he? Did he? God. I would, I mean, this was 31 against a bad defense. Yeah. And this was like the nightmare scenario for that, right? Like week 17, we finally get to see glimmers and you can jump on that and be like, oh, good. Drew Locke's turned a corner. It shouldn't be. You have to go into 2021 rolling. You have to connect yourself to reality. And the reality is at the very least, they should be looking elsewhere. And if they do have to, he is, I think he is also maybe worth a look in that he's played about a season plus worth of snaps. Mm-hmm. Right, and it, it hasn't been atrocious. It's just been a season, a season's worth of snaps that's been below average. Yeah, we. I mean, we had this discussion before the PFF live show this week that I I don't buy that John Elway can go into that boardroom or whatever the hell they have in Denver and be like, "All right, we're starting over a quarterback. I like this guy in the draft. Let's set." Reset the clock, <laughs> reset the counter to zero. We're starting again. I, I don't know that he has that that when, room to do that. When I when I pitch for a GM job or a pro personnel job or whatever the job ends up being, my pitch is gonna is gonna be centered around. I'm gonna do what's best for the organization. Sure. And, and what's best for the organization isn't like if you judge me by my ability to pick a quarterback, we're all you're doing the organization a disservice. If you let me or us or our team come in and pick multiple quarterbacks and admit failure quickly and move on and trade down because we're only going to hit on 50% of our picks, 60% at best. Like if you go in with a humble but strategic approach, you can get away with that. Once you go, if I I can't go into the boardroom 
and and do this, the whole organization gets set back. Right, but how many times can you swing and miss before somebody comes to the conclusion that you just don't know what you're doing? Like John Elway, in his career as an executive in Denver, has nailed the Peyton Manning thing, which, <laughs> let's be honest, was not the trickiest decision in the world. Oh, Peyton Manning is available? Yes, we're interested in that. Now, okay, he was coming off the neck injury, and we didn't know how functional he would be after that, but that was fairly well a slam-dunk decision, right? Every, a lot of people wanted... Peyton Manning, when he was available, John Elway won the sweepstakes. After that, tried to throw a lot of money at Brock Osweiler. Thankfully, the price got driven too high, and they balked. Um, anointed Paxton Lynch as their future quarterback. Absolute train wreck. Um, Trevor Simeon, Drew Locke. Like, that's quite a lot of swings and misses so far. Now you're, you're going to go back to the well and be like, I, I know we... There have been some mistakes made, but this guy, Trey Lance, whoever it is, now I find the answer. I, we've, we're picking at number nine in the draft. I, this is the guy. I we're going to get it done. I understand your point, but I, my counter would be the same thing about like the Ravens earlier. Just because the Ravens haven't shown that they could play from behind yet doesn't mean they can't do it. Just because John Elway hasn't shown... <laughs> That he could pick the quarterback. Does that matter? Yeah. One of or, these six foot five guys has got to be able to Again, play. I'm we're not in those meetings, right? So like with John Elway, does he defer some of the evaluation to other people already? Do you learn at this point? I don't, how much do you use past failures to predict future performance at that at that level? I don't know. But we'll discuss plenty this offseason. Chargers beat the Chiefs, the Henny Chiefs. It looked like oh, classic Henny. Average grade classic Chiefs. Average grade for Chad Henny, one eleven passer rating. That offense continues to hum. Justin Herbert finishes an outstanding rookie season, statistically, in a very good grade, PFF-wise. But did you know, I sent this to you last night, so now you do know. I do, yeah, now. Air yard percentage. Like, when you think of Justin Herbert's rookie season, what are you thinking of? You think, like, deep bombs against zero blitz. Yes, incredible downfield throws. His percentage of his yards that have come through the air or actually or from yak however you want to judge this he is sandwiched between ben roethlisberger and teddy bridgewater two guys who are considered you know dink and dunk and don't have the arm to throw it down the field now with big ben herbert's had a huge chunk of his yards come after the catch now to be fair some of that's like he hits a 40 yard bomb and then his dudes are taking it another 30 for 70 yards he's had a few of those but I just found that interesting that he does – maybe his stats are slightly – they are slightly inflated this year, but the Chargers have something to build upon. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we talked on the Daily, by the way. The, t the Daily today was biggest surprise of the season, and we brought up the Herbert Tua thing. We got into a little bit of that discussion. The only – I don't even say concern. The only note of caution for the Justin Herbert thing is that he has been the king all season long of the insane – uh, unsustainable, highly volatile statistics. So he'll finish the year as the number one graded quarterback under pressure. He's been graded the, against the blitz. These are all your PFF IQ unstable metrics, the things that you should yeah. not bank on going forward as repeatable. And, you know, I've said before that things like that and things like crazy outlier play, they can run for a season. You know, you can get a weird 16 game run of those things but they don't tend to, to repeat year on year on year. So this season, as good as Justin Herbert has been, an incredible amount of his plus play has been in these highly volatile situations. And if you were predicting what he looks like in 2021, you might start to bake in the idea that that stuff regresses. Now, I'm not saying it won't be offset by the other stuff going the other direction, like him getting better 
from a clean pocket and if the situation around him improves, right? right. The complete the Chargers offensive line is still not good, right? If they that's, ever that's repair gonna be that. the balance. Right. right. If they ever repair that, if they upgrade a coach, um, all these kinds of things, right? Hey, coach. Well, you know, all these sorts of things, right? There's a lot they can do to push him in the right direction, but we should anticipate that part of his game coming down to earth. I can't wait to see there's a lot of rumors about Urban Meyer going to Jacksonville. I cannot wait to see what the Chargers do as far as who's going to be the guy to now, you know, groom Justin Herbert. Just like who's going to be the guy to groom Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville? Who's going to be the guy to groom either Sam Darnold or Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, whoever it is it, with the Jets? Because we are, we're in an era where there's a lot of good offensive college minds. There's, um, you know, the Sean McVays and Kyle Shanahan's of the world from the Kubiak tree who have had a lot of success and Kevin Stefanski. There's a lot of success on that coaching tree right now where do these teams go with their franchise quarterbacks that's going to be a huge story this offseason as well the only other game that we touched on briefly was the Seahawks and Niners Seahawks won 26 to 23 how concerned are you with the Seahawks offense Russell Wilson being the 19th graded quarterback the second half of the season after being dominant yeah in the first half of the year only five yards per attempt in this game against the Niners. I mean, you tweeted last night that he's, he's still going to have no MVP votes after this season, which given again, how, the perspective is, again, people were like, in awe, how the, shock yeah. and awe that he's never had an MVP vote, but it and given really how the first one. half of the year went, it looked like he was going to wrap up MVP comfortably. Can like we he just was the front runner, but like people tweeting MVP in a week six Thursday night game. Can we just end that? Can we just, can Twitter block? Oh, yeah, can we ban that's, people? That's definitely going to happen for declaring MVP before week, you know, fifteen. But the point is, like his second half collapse has been real. I mean, it has been a collapse. He went from being the front runner in MVP, then heading his way into a, like a beneficial schedule that was only going to enhance that, and he didn't pick up. He, he he had a couple of terrible games in the middle, and then bounced back to some degree, but never became the great Russell Wilson again. And now, yeah, Seattle has to go into the playoffs um, where, again, you face better competition and suddenly you don't have this quarterback playing at an MVP level that can right all wrongs. We work with data, and data is funny sometimes because a lot of times people try to tell stories using what they've most recently seen, and we, we bring people back down to earth, right? But we went with the story that Russell Wilson went from a guy who had, you know, take out three or four games and he's elite, but he, then he started to eliminate those three to four games. Yeah. At a macro two-year level, 2019 and 20, he really didn't have – he had like one or two bad games until week nine yeah. of this season. Did he just save up? Is it is it as simple from a data standpoint, big sample size, two years, that just all of those bad games got saved up down the stretch? One, two, three, four, five games at 65 or below. Normally he would spread those out more. Did they just happen to come in this eight-game stretch, nine-game stretch at the end of the season? Or is it literally a trend in the wrong direction that is very concerning for Wilson and the Seahawks? I mean, it's possible, but it feels like – it feels hard to suggest that, like, a an eight-game run of bad games is not a trend, that it's just a freak bounce of the schedule and of variance and how your bad games have aligned themselves – like at the point where you're sequentially game after game after game after game not playing as well as you have in the past, even even just personally and psychologically, how could you not be in a different headspace than you were when you have like a couple of elite games and then a stinker and then a good game? And like it surely has to affect 
even just your internal perception of how your play is going right now. It definitely looks different. There was a, there was a confidence level early in the season with his ability to throw the ball down the field. It's just not there right now. And it might be just as challenging next week with part three against the Rams in their really impressive defense. So a good win yesterday. They, they pulled it out, made a little fourth quarter comeback. Um, we'll have a lot to talk about with the Niners and their quarterback situation this offseason, what Kyle Shanahan's going to do. But overall, 6-10 and 10 for the Niners. I thought they'd regress this year, but this was more injury-laden. And, yeah. You know, They've been the most, the most injury-hit team in the NFL this season. You know, Kyle Shanahan hasn't had anything to work with, in particular a quarterback. Also, you know, the league's best tight end from a year ago. Um, they haven't had a hope. I mean, even the entire offense had to function through like one gadget receiver and the gadget receiver kept getting injured, right? Debo Samuel, then Brandon Ayuk, then Debo Samuel. Like the, they just haven't had anything to work with for any extended period of time. Richard Sherman has been injured most of the year. The 49ers being 6-10 and 10 in that division is like a minor miracle given the, the injuries they've been dealing with. Robert Sala probably going to get a head coaching job. Very you know, heavy rumors. Certainly one of the top candidates, yeah. So there could be overhaul. I think there's going to be overhaul with him as defensive coordinator, plus the entire secondary is all free agents. Do so. defensive-minded coaches lose any kind of luster given the state of the NFL right now as candidates? Like, the I, league is being set on fire by offenses. Do you, is going after a defensive coach really a good strategy? I don't, I don't think it matters. I keep coming back to, like, I don't know – these people and I think that the head coach is a CEO more than an X's and O's guy and like the, the most impressive thing I've seen Sean McVay do the last couple of years now is hire Brandon Staley a mm -hmm. guy that's in his 30s who has just run a Fangio on steroids scheme and turned that Rams defense around so I don't know how you predict that unless you're in an interview and you have an idea of what their plan is so if if you have a defensive minded head coach I would say First off, I want to care about how you manage the team, manage the the game flow and all that stuff, and you better but you better find a great offensive mind. However you do it, you better find somebody and probably not just like a retread that has a, an okay history. I want a really good offensive mind that I would hire a defensive coach if I knew it would come connected with a really good up and coming offensive coach. Yeah, there's certainly a degree to which you have no idea how much these guys can like just lead people, you know, and organize a, a uh, franchise right which is a huge part of the job on the other hand you know you can see the impact that a schematically minded gifted offensive mind has on just his team right like Andy Reid Kyle Shanahan Kevin Stefanski bringing that system over to Cleveland true like the immediate impact of a guy that has a system that works and knows what he's doing is palpable and obvious so I don't think you can just sort of say well you know these guys okay they bring a system but we don't really know how much they do it it just i think it just magnifies what they have to do right like you bring a system in and the system needs to work and that's great but now you also have to manage the game in the game right time management clock management situational awareness challenging all that kind of stuff plus you have to like behind the scenes manage an entire building and all the crap that goes along with that and that's probably where a lot of these guys fall down it's like you've suddenly basically just given them three jobs to do instead of the right. one they had previously. That's why I'm saying you need a CEO type that is going to get good people around him. You know, Mike Tomlin, defensive-minded head coach, John Harbaugh, a special teams coach, but Harbaugh's shown the ability to adjust and get smart people. 
yeah. around him. And that's that's the biggest thing about him is he changed at some point through the year. I need somebody that's malleable to adjust to the NFL. And that might be the failing of a guy, you know, like I don't want to pull one random guy out and dump on him, but a guy like Mike Zimmer, right, who's consistently able to generate a really good defense compared to the talent level he has. And, you know, you can see just the way they scheme on third downs that the Vikings are way better than they are the rest of the time. Zimmer's a really good defensive mind, but is he as good as he can be when he has to juggle the game flow and all that kind of stuff and when he has to run the entire building and is that just asking him too much and has he been able to surround himself with people that do that stuff for him and even like a guy like Anthony Lynn right like Anthony Lynn's biggest failing is the in-game clock management stuff right like surely you should be able to put a guy in the booth that can whose job is that right and if I'm managing the game in terms of X's and O's and scheme and play calling there's just a dude in my ear that shouts when I have yeah. to like do whatever, right? Like clock it or, you know, run whatever. There's, there's a guy in the booth whose job it is to do that. So that I don't have to dedicate mental runtime to all that stuff because most people are not Bill Belichick who can do all this, this stuff on the fly. And, and Belichick probably has guys in his ear as well. But if you're trying to do all that by yourself, you're probably already just way behind the eight ball. I, I think the coaching hire discussion is a great one. You know, again, I, I love the offseason because we can – get into long form on some of this stuff that we've got some some contacts around the nfl we could bring on as guests and mm -hmm. discuss the hiring process guys that have done it so we're going to do some of that this offseason as well i think that's all the games did we touch on all of them sam uh, we i didn't, believe so it's week 17 and we touched on the important <laughs> ones so thanks to everybody for tuning in thanks to everybody for being with us this entire regular season and sticking with us stick with us through the playoffs here's what we're going to do we're still going to touch on every game previews and reviews but for the teams that are not in the playoffs or those that are still it's free agency time it's draft time we are getting into off-season mode so we're going to have more and more uh free agency talk team building talk uh, a little bit of draft discussion we'll talk about the quarterbacks very very shortly but also we're going to be back here on thursday previewing the awesome wild card matchups six games to look forward to this weekend get the extra game man wall to wall saturday and sunday yeah three games back to back to back so we'll get into all the previews Thursday, and we'll start to touch on a little bit of off-season team-building stuff. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you Thursday.